Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Talking in Circles. I am Clayton Caldwell here with John Harlow as we bring you another episode of Talking in Circles. This weekend we review the Firekeepers Casino 400 at Michigan International Speedway, which was won on Sunday by Joey Logano, his 15th career NASCAR Sprint Cup Series victory and the first of his 2016 season. Uh, we'll talk about the rules package. Was it good at Michigan? Was it bad? Michigan also had a decline in attendance this week. We'll discuss that. Uh, the unfortunate fire at Thor Sport Racing, we'll get into that. Dale Earnhardt Jr. and Chris Buescher Jr. had some comments about his fellow competitor. We'll discuss that. Daniel Suarez, the first Mexican driver to win in the NASCAR Xfinity Series. What does that mean for NASCAR, and is it a trend we're going to see for years to come? Also, we'll discuss the future of NASCAR and much more here on the episode of Talking Circles. So join the show. All you got to do is call 917-889-8280. And we will take your phone calls on anything, not just what we're talking about. We'll take it on anything. But first, John, let's break down the Fire Keepers Casino 400 at Michigan International Speedway. Like I said, it was Agana's 18th victory. He led 138 of the race's 200 laps. A, a real competitive race, Joe Logano, really um, dominant race for him, uh, and something that he needed because he hasn't had the luck. They've run good at Penn State <coughs> Racing this week, this year, uh, but he hasn't really had the luck to win a lot of races. It just seemed like Logano always had something come up, and here he is now locks himself into the chase for 2016. Him and his teammate, now Brad Kozlowski, both Team Penske cars, locked into the chase after Michigan, John Harlow. Well, one of the things you saw in Michigan, I mean, Logano, his team was locked in all day long, but there was a chance. If Chase Elliott doesn't miss that shift, they may have won that game. I mean, Chase Elliott may have won a race, won the race at Michigan. He missed a shift on a restart and wound up just dropping like a rock right off the bat and recovering, but it gave Logano the chance to get out front and run away from him. And I think the racing was a little better. I think the drivers were complaining that the cars were loose and everything, which is good. They had, I mean, the one thing that was crazy about it, the speeds going into turn one, they were hitting 218, 219 going into turn one, and then they'd be dropping down, <coughs> excuse me, to 175 in the middle of the turn before they dropped the gas again. That's 40 miles an hour. And you really have to be on your game to be able to enter the turn at 218 and drop it down to 175 and get back on your game again coming off of it. I thought it was a, a decent race, it wasn't anything spectacular. But it was a hell of a lot better than last August. And whenever you said we talk, we're talking about the attendance at Michigan. I think part of the thing is you look at the Brickyard. The Brickyard had great attendance until the tire debacle. Mm-hmm. Michigan has always been respectable, but last year they tried that high drag package, and the racing was terrible. And, and the folks at Michigan are probably saying, "Well." Let me see what we got here. Maybe it'll pick up in August because they had better racing with this package. But I think the last debacle they had last fall, I mean last summer when they did the high drag down for I mean the high drag package, it just didn't work. 
I agree, and, and it makes you wonder. You know, there was a lot of rumors about where that came from, whether it came from Brian France himself, which a lot of people said it did. And you have to wonder, you know, we know from the fans' perspective they didn't think it was a very good package, but you have to wonder if it was from, you know, now you look at it and say, well, now it's affecting what Michigan's attendance. And Michigan got hurt by the economy because of the uh, the – the auto collapse there, that the auto industry wasn't doing very well. A lot of people lost their jobs up there. Now it seems like they're starting to bounce back, like you said, a little bit. And uh, it's, a, it's a very good thing to see, but you know, the attendance was down, and that's a little alarming. But, you know, you were right about one of the things you said about Chase Elliott, and I think you hit the nail on the head, where this kid has been – he's just been really impressive this year. Wow. Yeah, he missed a shift at Michigan, and that probably cost him the race. But since Talladega, Chase has finished 5th, ninth, 3rd, 8th, 4th, and 2nd. And in my opinion, and maybe I'm crazy on this, John, I think he's been better than the 24 this year. He's been better than the 24. He's been 6th in the points. He's been better in, 24, in the 24 car than Jeff Gordon was in the 24 car a year ago. Do you agree with that assessment? I think it's still a wait and see. This point, if you cut it off where we're at right now, I think he's pretty equal to where Jeff Gordon was. I don't think he w- he's outlasting him or far ahead of it because, I mean, they had a couple uh, where Gordon got caught up in some things last year. It wasn't like Gordon was running like crap. Gordon ran great all year for his final season. He got caught up in some messes. It, you never heard him starting 25th or something like that. I think Chase Elliott has shown that he is the real deal, but he's also – in Jeff Gordon's stuff. It's not like they went and recreated the wheel and said, I mean, they're still running chassis that Gordon ran. They're still running. He's got the same team that Gordon had. So, I mean, put a rookie in Gordon's stuff, it's pretty easy to be respectable right off the bat. But Jeff uh, Chase Elliott has shown that he is a really good driver because instead of being 15th, 20th, he's 5th through 10th and knocking right. on the door for victory. So I think he's still got some wait and see. The summer's coming, um, and it's the first time on some of these tra- hot tracks in the 3,400-pound car instead of the 3,200-pound car that they're in on the Xfinity Series. It'll be something to see in the summertime, but, I mean, so far he's right there on par with what Gordon did. I wouldn't say he's better than Gordon was last year, but I wouldn't say he's worse. Nine one seven eight nine eight two eight zero. If you want to join the show, interesting. You brought up the fact that he's running in Jeff Gordon stuff because you're right. You know that's his team, and it reminds me a lot of the situation when Casey Kane came to the Sprint Cup Series from the Xfinity Series in 2004. If you remember, Bill Elliott drove that nine car for the first three years of existence. Bill really hit his didn't really hit his stride until about the end of 2003. They really started running good, and if you remember, at the end of that season, Bill won Rockingham the second to last race of the year and dominated the field at Homestead before a blown tire with one to go, ruined a back-to-back wins, and maybe Bill winning his last race as a full-time competitor. Casey Kane jumped into the nine car, uh, nearly won it. I, I believe he ran uh, Vegas back then, nearly won Vegas, nearly won Texas, going against Elliot Sadler and, and Matt Kenseth. And Casey Kane really opened up some people's eyes, and he went, wow. And a lot of people pointed at that and said, well, that was because he was running Bill Elliott's stuff, Bill's a good chassis man. And you can argue maybe that's the same thing with his son here a bunch of years later. Um, but I've been impressed with this kid, you know. Uh, I thought we'd see a little bit of a learning curve, and we have. But the fact that he's only finished out of the top ten so far this year just four times, 
uh, in your first full rookie season, it's pretty impressive. You know, Martinsville was the only race where you kind of sat there and you finished 20th. Really didn't run up front all day. We kind of sat there and you went, eesh. You know, Jeff Gordon was really good at Martinsville. But if you look at his Las Vegas run, um, he was running up front before he got involved in a wreck that wasn't his doing. Um, you know, and Daytona, he got in a wreck there. But other than that, it was a 12th at Richmond and a 20th at Martinsville. And he's been pretty solid all year in that 24 car. Um, he's definitely been more solid than a guy like Casey Kane. He's even been better than Dale Earnhardt Jr. this year. And that's a guy we'll get into a little bit later, but another driver who I think has been solid, John Harlow, lately, and it seemed like really since Dover, even maybe a little bit before that, but he's a guy who's starting to, to hit his stride a little bit, and that's Kyle Larson. Larson finished third last week, didn't lead a ton of laps, but he was right there, beat Brad Kislavski, who did, did a tire test there, and I think that really helped Team Penske. I think the tire test this week, you know, you don't get, or for, for Michigan, you don't get too much track time anymore on these racetracks. Um, and you don't get too much testing time because NASCAR doesn't allow it. So any testing time you get is valuable. And Brad Keselowski went and tested the tire out there. I think it helped all of Team Penske in general. But a very good run for Kyle Larson. John, he beat Brad Keselowski. Uh, a very good run for them over there in that 42 car. Well, the one thing with Kyle Larson, he has been hitting his stride lately. He looked, he looked great in the All-Star race. I mean, Tony Stewart even said during the All-Star race, if there's an MVP who's probably done more and passed more people and made it more exciting, it was Kyle Larson for the All-Star race. I mean, he's been hitting his stride. He's been running well. Now, one of the things you got to look at, though, his car failed post-race. They're down 15 points. So what he did with his third-place finish, he loses 15 points. He's back basically an 18th-place finish. And you wonder how much they were out of whack because they failed post-race. And yeah, that's a great... Anytime you fail something, there's got to be some little... If you fail it, it's for a reason. It's not because... And it wasn't like he did a burnout where he did all the different things and messed up his uh, fenders because they did the burnout to cover up something sometimes. He just... They failed post-race inspection, so... To me, that third place is an 18th. I mean, it's good for him to run up there, but it's not the finish he really had. You're right, John, and that's something that uh, is interesting. I want to get into is the penalty, and we'll talk about it right now. Uh, He failed post-race inspection. As you mentioned, he failed the laser inspection. They got a P3 penalty about it, lost 15 driver owner points. As you said, interim crew chief Phil Surgeon was fined $25,000. to me, it's interesting, John, because he's with an interim crew chief here. His other crew chiefs got suspended because of lug nut issues from uh, the week before. Um, does that mean anything to you that it was an interim crew chief sort of, sort of sitting there going, well, if this crew chief cheated when he was on probation, let's say, you know, uh, his his normal crew chief is um, on probation <coughs> and he cheats. Chad Johnson, mm-hmm. right? if he cheats and he's on probation, he probably gets a stiffer penalty. Do you think NASCAR considered that at all? Or since he's suspended, they kind of sat there and said, well, it's a new crew chief. He gets fined $25,000. We'll leave it at that. Uh, what were your thoughts on that penalty to Larson? Did you like it, or, or did you think it was a little too light? I think, I mean, in reality, you saw what happened last week at Pocono. The guy who was the acting crew chief for Kurt Busch said flat out, I'm getting texts from Tony Gibson the whole way during the race. I mean, they make no bones about it. 
even though the crew chief is not sitting on the box, the crew chief still has something to do with everything. Chad Johnston didn't find out till Thursday that he was suspended for his lug nut issue. That's when they're driving up, getting ready to drive up the road to be at Michigan. So Chad Johnston had everything to do with putting that car together. I think Chad Johnston should have got the suspension and the fine while, I mean, because in reality, the only thing the interim crew chief did was call the shots on race day. Everything of prepping the car was done by Johnston leading the way. I agree. It's an it's an interesting penalty to me because I kind of sat there and said, "Ooh, I wonder if he was on probation if they would have handled it differently." And I, I was told by a, a reliable source, John, that Racing Electronics now uh, has figured out a way to where you could hook up a a radio in your in your house if you're a crew chief and talk to the team that way. So basically, you know, if you're a crew chief, and this was uh, rumors I've heard from pretty reliable sources, where if you sit there and say, "You know what? I'm going to hook up a uh, radio in my house to talk to my team while I'm suspended, you know. And then you gotta really sit there and wonder. Well, maybe he's even calling the shots, watching the race on TV, saying, "No, take this, do this." Listening to what the driver's saying, listening to all the feedback, telling them what to change on the car, yada yada yada. So I agree with you. I think uh, it was a very interesting penalty to that 42 car this weekend, and I thought it was something that um, definitely needed to be looked at a little further. But uh, NASCAR made their call, twenty-five thousand dollars. Uh, and Surgeon, who I, it's fine, I'm kind of curious, he's not on probation either. Because to me, if he's on, you know, if your crew chief gets suspended, he should be on probation there, Surgeon. And that way, when he comes back, if you cheat and he, you know, it, if he is part of the cheating process, he should be penalized a little bit more. To me, it's just, you know, it, it was almost, and I, we don't know what he failed for. They didn't come out and tell us what, exactly how far he was off, the team was off. But very curious penalty, I should say, from that 42 car. Okay, John, we're going to get into a subject that's dear, near and dear to your heart, and that's Tony Stewart. Seventh-place run this weekend, looked good, solid week. He was running pretty good at Pocono before an accident took him out, but this weekend had to finish to back it up, finished in the seventh position. Uh, your thoughts on Tony Stewart? Uh, I thought it was a, a good weekend, not a great one. Uh, your thoughts on Tony Stewart? Well, the one thing that I came out of the weekend with when it came to Tony Stewart is – for once in a long time, you've seen him come out of the car smiling. And his comments after the race were pretty interesting where he said, I'd rather take this and continue it than win and finish 25th next week. And I think him and Booger Ravitch are starting to hit on something. In reality, I was watching – uh, NASCAR America this week, and they interviewed Mike Bogaravich at SHR, and he said, if you think about it, we've only been together for six weeks. And this is a whole different package than they ran the other five weeks. So, I mean, everybody was a shot in the dark on this one, except for the couple that tire tested with it when NASCAR threw it into the tire test. But I think they're hitting on something. I think they're starting to get it together. Uh, Stewart loved the package. I mean, he was glowing about the package. He hated the restarts because the one thing with the way NASCAR is right now with the double file restarts and the way they're doing it, everybody goes nuts the first four laps and then people start getting spread out. So you got to make your, you got to make your gains on the first four laps 
or you're pretty much hosed and you're going to sit where you're at for a while and you might pick off a position or two here and there. One of the things Stewart was really good at on Sunday, which is typical Stewart, as it gets summertime, he finds a way to get a heck of a good push coming off of one and two, getting out of two and going, getting a good run down the back stretch, and the same way with coming out of four and getting a run down the front stretch. He was passing cars coming off of the turn whenever he's able to get back to the gas faster than everybody else. I think it was a, considering the past two years, the way it's been for Smoke, this is a win. And Tony Stewart is a momentum driver. You've seen it. Whenever he gets wins, they come in bunches. And he's sniffing the front. And he knows that he's now within under a race left to get to, I mean, under a race worth of points to get to the chase. He made up half the points he needed to this week. He's within a race to get to the chase. He's got several opportunities to win coming up. He is lights out on the 4th of July race at Daytona. He's great on both road courses. He, I bet you any money, every piece of possible engineering, testing possible for Indy, Stewart is throwing in that car because if there's one race he wants to win in his final season, it's the Brickyard 400. Oh, yeah. I agree with you wholeheartedly and, I mean, and more than anything, to be honest, being a Tony Stewart fan the way I've been my whole my whole life whenever since he's been running in NASCAR, he's got two tracks he hasn't won at yet, Kentucky and Darlington. And Kentucky's going to run this same package. And Darlington is going to be hot Labor Day weekend. Tony Stewart likes the hot track. You have to be a wheel man to get around that place. And I'll be honest with you, Tony Stewart has not forgotten how to drive. I, I think there's going to be plenty of chances to see him win. 917-889-8280 to join the show. I agree. You know, I, we'll see. I mean, 45 points right now to the to 30th. Brian Scott in 30th, 30th in points with 197. Uh, Stewart's got 152. That's 45 points difference, and he made up a lot of points this weekend. You're right, John. Um, and he's going to need a couple more weekends to do that to get in the 30th. I don't think 30th, and I've said this before, and I'll say it again. I don't think 30th is going to be an issue for him. It's winning that race, and as good as he ran this weekend, he's still not where he needs to be to win races. But definitely a step in the right direction. They're qualifying a little bit better. Um, Sonoma can be an interesting weekend. He runs good on the road courses. His entire career has proven that. Um, I think. Daytona's, you know, he's always been good at Daytona as well, so something to keep an eye on as we move forward here in the 2016 season. Um, this race was filled with some some nice runs. You know, we mentioned, I thought Ryan Newman ran in the top ten all day. He did very well, but uh, one disappointing driver I was kind of rooting for a little bit this weekend because I like to see him do well. I like to see that team do well, and they didn't run as good as I hoped they had. Ryan Blaney, and Blaney finished 17th. Yeah, it's not too bad of a day, but he was third quickest in, in practices, 10-lap averages, and all that kind of stuff. Uh, banged it off the outside wall. Um, I know he's still a rookie, but kind of a disappointing day for Ryan Blaney in a 21 car there. It's on Harlow real quick. Um, this weekend at Michigan. Well, Blaney, I mean, one of the things with Michigan, there's so much speed going on at that place. The slightest bit of aerodynamic changes is going to ruin your day. So the fact that he brought it home 17th after – 
pancake in the wall is a pretty good finish for where he what he could have had. He could have been back there in the 20s and the 30s. It was a great job by the Wood Brothers slash Penske crew because it's pretty much Penske with Wood Brothers' name on it. But I think it was a good job by Blaney to make the most of a crappy day. And that's what win championships. It's not winning the – or not taking the – it's making a 10th place car a 5th place car or a 25th place car a 17th place car. It's the making the most out of the crappy days is what turns the championship team together. I think it's going to be – I still wouldn't count out Blaney for making the chase, and I wouldn't count out Blaney for possibly winning a race this year. But he's really something to watch. That kid is he's – he's the real deal. He's got it all together. Uh yeah, I agree. I think he's he's a very good driver. I like the kid a lot. I think he does a lot of good things um, on the racetrack. And it was just a little disappointing this weekend because, like I said, I was hoping he was going to run pretty good, but it ended up a tough weekend for him. But something else I want to touch on this week that's gotten a lot of play, and I didn't, have, I didn't think it should have, but the accident on lap 63 with Dale Earnhardt Jr. and Chris Buescher. Um, Jr. and Buescher were running together on the track. Buescher got loose on the bottom of the racetrack, came up the track, made contact with the 88 car, sent Dale Jr. and A.J. Almendinger into the outside wall. Jr. finished, I believe, in the 38th position. It was a tough day for him, um, and he was frustrated at the end of the race, said some, some curious comments, 39th he ended up, actually, said some curious comments about Chris Buescher at the end of the race, like the accident was his fault, and it was. The accident itself, the, the accident on the racetrack was Chris Buescher's fault. He, he just got loose, and uh, I don't think he, nobody's, Dale Jr. didn't even insist that he thought he did it on purpose, but, um, you know, I thought maybe at the end of the race that would be the end of it, but it wasn't. Um, he came out this week, and he said that Busher, he's ma- still mad at Chris Busher for it, um, and, you know, he understands people make mistakes, but you have to take, try and take care of each other out there. He knows when he drives a car, that's what he tries to think of when he goes into a corner, Am I going to bust ass and take this guy out? I have the mentality and concern for not only my well-being but his. You don't want to ruin anybody's day. I know Chris didn't want to ruin my race, uh, and I know that I made mistakes, and everybody does, but it doesn't mean I can't have an opinion on it when it happens, end quote. Now, again, I understand Junior's frustrated because uh, it's been a, it hasn't been a great year for that 88 car, but, John, to me, this comes down to sim- a simple math equation. Junior was running about 19th, 18th, wherever you want to debate where he was going to run, where he was going to pass Chris Buescher for. And that's not a good day at all. And I know he was potentially, he said he felt he had a car that ran in the top 10 all day, but he wasn't up there for a reason. He wasn't up there because he qualified poorly. And that is something this 88 team has done all year long, is qualified poorly. And they have to qualify better if they want to champion, contend for a championship. Because what happens when you qualify poorly is you get back there with drivers and cars, drivers who may not know what they're doing, rookies who may not know what they're doing, yet and cars which aren't handling very good, and that's why they qualified back there. And Chris Busher's car obviously wasn't handling very good, so when you went and passed him for 18th position, he should have never been back there to begin with if his car was really good. They should have figured out on qualifying on Thursday and Friday he should have figured it out, and he would have went up there and tried to win the race. And he wouldn't have had any issues. If he was running for 10th, I totally see his point. But he's running for 18th. What were your thoughts, John Harlow? Well, part of it, Junior went three. He's the one who went three wide in the middle. And, yeah, Michigan's a wide right. track. But since the repave, 
It hasn't gone up to the it hasn't gone up to the wall yet. It's only about three quarters of the way up. The high groove is about three quarters of the way up. It hasn't gone all the way up to the top yet. And Junior pushed the issue in the middle on lap sixty one. It's not lap one sixty one, it's lap sixty one. And Chris Busher, yeah, he got loose. I mean, I was listening to the radio stuff today and Greg Biffle said himself, This is the worst handling car I've ever had in traffic. And if Biffle's having that kind of a thing, Busher's stuff, some of it's coming from Roush Fenway over to Front Row Motorsports because Busher is a, is a, a Roush Fenway development driver, so they're going to probably push some of their stuff over there. If Biffle can't handle the car in traffic, Chris Busher, who doesn't have near the experience Biffle does, is probably having the same problems, if not worse. I think Junior pushed the issue a little too much too early, and he's. I mean, if you get on their right, I mean, if you get on their right rear fender in the turn, it's going to start turning them around, and it pulled. I mean, his he basically sucked Busher up into him, and Junior's frustrated, and Junior's trying to be positive and not hammer his team or anything, but I think he's uh, basically trying to get out of hammering his team for saying, hey, we're not getting good stuff. On his Dirty Mo Radio podcast, he's basically been saying, we're not where we should be, and we need to get better, and if we don't, we're going to have problems. He said he flat out, I don't want to be going knowing I have to get a 10th place finish at Richmond to make the chase. We need to pick up our game now so we're not in that predicament at Richmond. And, and you're right, Sean, and, and- Aside from Pocono, his second place finish at Pocono last week, uh, it, it's been a real tough last uh, six, seven races for Dale Jr. Um, and I think there's, you're starting to get to a point where you have to wonder if he's concerned about missing the chase. We have a caller on the line here, John. Uh, what's your name? Where are you calling from? This is Lee from Virginia. Hi, Lee. What do you want to talk about today? Dale Hart Jr. Um, I have to say about I'm a little bit disappointed. Disappointed in his comments today, uh, yesterday. Uh, you know, he usually takes the high road on a lot of things, um, and he's got to understand. Now, I understand that he's the son of a seven-time champion, has never had to have anything less than championship-caliber equipment his entire career. But he's got to understand that Chris Buescher is back there running 20th in subpar equipment. Uh, you need to qualify better, plain and simple. And that's on you. That's not on anybody else. That's on you and Greg Ives and your team. That's not on Chris Busher. You can blame Chris Busher all you want. The other thing is, if you had a win at this point, uh, you wouldn't have to worry about this. So that's also on mm-hmm. you as well. And the third thing is uh, caring about the well-being of drivers. I find it very, very hard for me to take that into consideration. A guy who, in 2009, Daytona 500 sent Brian Vickers at 200 miles an hour in oncoming traffic. So uh, you know, I was really disappointed in his comments this week. Well, I, I was too, Lee. I'll tell you, I just thought, you know, John touched on an interesting point about the Daily Mo Radio podcast because I listen to that every now and then, and he's right. Dale's been um, very critical of his team at times, which made me really um, kind of scratch my head that he's taken this approach to it as far as Chris Buescher. Again, if Chris Buescher's out there on old tires and he's up there in sixth and he stayed out and he crashed that point, then I'd say, you know what, Junior has a point there. I understand his frustration, but... Busher's trying to get every spot he can. He's back. He's up there having a pretty good day. Yeah, you know, but you're battling for 18th, and you shouldn't be back there. That's the thing. You're in Henry Morris. You don't want to see Chris Busher. 
If you don't want to see Chris Buescher, you don't have to see Chris Buescher. Qualify in the top right. ten and run up front all day, and you won't see him at all. So that's the way I look at it. John Harlow, what's your thoughts to Lee here? Again, I mean, I think both you and Lee have it sort of on track. Junior's never really been a good qualifier. Um, he's always, I mean, you count the number of poles, they're slim compared to his top ten finishes. I mean, he's one of those ones who's always had to drive his way through the pack. But starting 25th, starting 28th, that's a whole different thing. Starting 13th, 14th, you're up there with the guys you need to run with up anyhow. You're starting 25th, 28th, you're back there with the guys who are basically a lot of times using last year's equipment, the hand-me-downs from somebody else. I think, like I said, juniors, the comments probably were not right, but I also think he's been pretty hard on Greg Ives and his team and the way things are going right now at Hendrick Motorsports. I think he's been hard on them saying, we really need to go. I think it's the point where it's like, I've hammered them enough. I got to take it out on somebody else this time. And Chris Busher just happened to be in the crosshairs because he's the one that got swept up into him. Again, yeah, if Mike, Junior Mike, doesn't make that. that three wide move, it doesn't happen. And my, point very good point, is, my point about that is I know he's getting frustrated. I know that, uh, you know, he's 41 going to be 42 in October, but, uh, you know, Chris Buescher hasn't been there the previous 16 seasons that Dale hasn't won a championship. Uh, you know, that's that's been Dale Jr. And maybe sometime, maybe you're right, John, maybe uh, going three wide, Dale needs to take the blame there. And even if, you know, you feel like Chris Buescher was wrong, you're the you're the veteran. You're the 42-year-old veteran running, running 18th. Uh, take the blame for a rookie every now and again. Obviously, Chris Buescher didn't do it. Say, hey, the kid made a mistake. We all have made mistakes in our career. And, uh and I'm sure he did when he was a rookie. Now, Busher obviously isn't in championship equipment because his dad didn't hand him a championship ride. But you know what? Rookies make mistakes, and when you're back there with rookies, that's what's going to happen. Yeah, I was, was listening to the I was listening to the radio traffic whenever the accident happened. I was Sports.com uh, listening to the scanner traffic, and the first thing Chris Busher said, "I didn't mean to do it." He said, "I just got pulled into him." He said it flat out as the accident was happening. I didn't mean to do it. I got sucked up into him. So it wasn't anything that Busher did. And and in reality, if I'm Busher, I don't worry about it. He's going to get – It's there's an off week this week. People are looking for something to talk about. And Junior says something, they're going to talk about it. Everybody's out in the freaking Caymans or down in the Bahamas or something or Kurt Busch is in Europe chasing the Formula One guys. Nobody really is paying attention this week. This is the off week where it's going to have its play. Probably by the time we get done with this podcast, it's going to it's going to blow over, and it'll just be about Chris Busher being a rookie and Junior not running well. Yeah, and another thing we didn't talk about, guys, and this is something too. You know, Chris Busher is used to these cars in NASCAR, the Xfinity Series and the Cup Series, with a lot of downforce on them. That's what he was. That's what he won the championships with in the Xfinity series, and, yeah, this is a throwback sort of, you know, with a lot with less downforce on it, but, you know, juniors run that package before. A lot of the older school guys, Tony Stewart, Matt Kenseth, have run those guys, have run that package before. Chris Bush has never done that before, so it was an entirely new package, an entirely new field for the kid as well, so something else to keep in mind. I just thought it was kind of interesting that it was getting this much play, and maybe you're right, John, 
it is because it's the off weekend, but I thought it was interesting that it was getting this much play. Uh, how much, you know, let's look at the points here quick. Um, you know, Junior right now to the good in the points over 16th, Ryan Blaney is 19 points ahead. Um, but there are some guys back there as well. You know, Kyle Larson gets hurt with his 15-point penalty. He falls back past the 21st. Um, you know, is there anybody back there in the points? Uh, I'll ask Lee first. Um, that, you know, you got Paul Menard, Greg Biffle, um, Clint Boyer, Danica Patrick. Anybody back there in the points of those drivers you think can make the chase? Uh, Ricky Senos Jr. is 21st. A.J. Almendinger is 20th. What about those drivers? Do you think they have a shot at this chase or what? Well, first of all, Danica, absolutely not. I mean, even if they, even if the 10 guys in front of her magically, you know, didn't run the full schedule, she'd still struggle to make it. But, um, you know, A.J. Allendinger can win a road course race. And I think Daytona is the great equalizer. You have, you know, Eric Amarola can win a plate race. He's shown and he can do it before. Uh, you know, the Roush cars are running better. Maybe they get really aggressive at the plate races and win one of those plate races. Uh, there's a lot of things that go into it. And you, have, and you left out Tony Stewart, who is not in the top 30 yet. But if he goes and wins at Indianapolis, where he did a good year tire test, the place that he really wants to win, if he, if he goes and wins there, that's another guy you got to add that's going to be behind Dale in points that's going to be ahead of him on chase grid because of a win. So, you know, there's a lot that's going to go into it for Dale Jr. to make this chase. And once we get through, you know, these next four or five weeks, we're going to get a lot clearer picture of whether or not he's in trouble. Yeah, uh, interesting stuff. Attendance, John Harlow, is down this weekend at Michigan. Um, track president said he expects the attendance to be higher. He thought that, like you said, the, down, the, low, the high drag package might have hurt the attendance this weekend at Michigan. What were your thoughts? Do you think it's a concern for Michigan? I've always listened. I've come out and said this, and I've gotten a lot of, a lot of uh, backlash from this. I felt like Michigan's a pretty vulnerable racetrack especially because in the last five years, I don't think it produces very good racing anymore. I don't think the attendance has been there anymore. And I always thought it was a very vulnerable racetrack to perhaps lose a date down the road. I know we have the manufacturers there with Ford and Chevy, but I'm not saying take the entire you know, whole thing away from Michigan, but maybe put them in a chase and give them one date. I felt like that could help that racetrack. Um, what, were your, what are your thoughts on Michigan? Do you, are you concerned at all about it, or do you think it was just kind of a blip in the radar for Michigan? Um, I think Michigan's fine when it comes to the two races. I think they'll be okay when it comes to the way NASCAR is treating things. They have enough seating there. I mean, they have a boatload of seating there. One of the things I was reading, um, Roger Curtis said that it was a slight decrease in ticket sales. And, And like I said, a lot of that's probably because of that high drag piece of crap race they ran last year. But they opened the infield early. They said 45% of the campground was full before it even normally opened on Thursday. So people camped out longer. All the suites were filled. And he said they were, I mean, even Roger Curtis said the June guests probably weren't there in August, but were reluctant to purchase a ticket until they saw a good race. They saw a decent race this week. August. I think they're going to have an uptick in sales. And the one thing with Michigan, I have the same thing with them that I have with Pocono. I think their races are too close together. And, I mean, Michigan's races are, what, two months apart? Pocono's are usually about six weeks apart. So you're Mm -hmm. cramming two races into a short period of time 
where just after you get past the financial impact of the one race, you got to turn around and go do it again. It's not like you're going to Richmond where they race in April and September. Or if you go to Daytona where it's February and July, or Martinsville where it's April and October. I mean, there's not a big gap in there, and part of it's because of weather, because at times in Michigan it snows in October. Same thing with Pocono. I mean, you go to an, if you go to a race at Pocono in October, you have a chance of freezing your you-know-what's off. So they want to try to get it on the best days possible. If there's any place that I could see scarcely in the chance of losing a race, it's a place like Atlanta. There are... There are a lot of bleachers, a lot of people disguised as bleachers there. Atlanta's empty most of the time. Um, Kansas didn't have the attendance I thought it would. Charlotte didn't have the attendance I thought it would. But Charlotte's never going to lose a race because Bruton will never do it. I mean, the other part is, where are you going to put it? It's an ISC track. ISC doesn't, the only place they have a single race pretty much is Watkins Glen and California, and the reason they took California waves to give the second race to Kansas because they got the casino license. I don't see right. any reason to take a second race from Michigan because there's no place for ISC to put it. Yeah, it's, it's just a, an interesting tidbit that I thought the attendance was low there. I mean, when we looked at the race, I thought definitely it was low there. And uh, Roger Curtis, like you said, came out this week, and I thought that was a very interesting strategy by him because, you know, NASCAR doesn't come out and give attendance reports anymore because they know the attendance hasn't been where it was five, ten years ago. Lee, a uh, quick comment on the on the Michigan attendance before I go on to the next subject here. Are you, are you at all worried about that track? No, listen, attendance has been down across the board uh, everywhere, you know, and, and I'm not worried about it. I always, but I said for the last few years, just cut the race and give them one race up in Michigan because I think you'd be able to uh, more people would come just one race and would come you know, to two, I think, like, look what it does for Indianapolis. They're able to the, – the attendance was really good there for a lot of years because you had one race. I think if you had two races in Indianapolis, can you imagine what the attendance would be like for each race? So I think if you made more impact on one race, then, you know, more people would show up and your attendance would go up. But, uh, you know, I don't think any of these ISC or SMI, they're not giving up any of their dates. They're fighting over it like, you know, the teams are going to fight over their charters in a couple of years. So, uh, no, that's not going to happen. Yeah, for sure, 917-889-8280. If you want to join the conversation here on Talking Circles. Lee, before I let you go here, uh, we also had the NASCAR Xfinity Series Bernard's 250 presented by Vaveline, uh, and it was a race that was won by Daniel Suarez. Suarez came from the back. He had a speeding penalty on pit road. That cost him a lot of time. Worked his way through the field past uh, Kyle Busch and won his first career race. And the interesting part about that was he was the first Mexican ever to win a NASCAR Xfinity Series race this weekend. Um, do you think that's good for NASCAR, and do you think it's something we're going to see moving forward here, Lee, before I let you go? Well, I think it's good for NASCAR, but and you know, being, uh, but only if this gets played down in Mexico. I mean, you know, Suarez is a, is a good young driver, really, really, really nice kid, really hard to root against, Daniel Suarez. Um, you know, he's got the money in, behind him as well, and that's a huge thing in this sport nowadays. But, you know, we thought for years that Juan Pablo Montoya would, would boost the ratings down in South America for NASCAR, and that didn't happen. Um, and so you have to wonder whether or not it's going to boost the ratings down in 
Mexico for Daniel Suarez. He is a, a Mexican native. It's not like he's Mexican-American born in the United States. He is from Mexico. Um, and I think that will help them, no no doubt, uh, in Mexico with the NASCAR ratings. And I think that will help grow the sport globally. But I think right now we just need to focus on, you know, getting this sport back to where it needs to be. And I don't care where he's from. He's a good young driver. He seems like a really nice kid. And we need, to, and if that's going to help the Xfinity Series grow, that's what we're going to need. That's what we need for the Xfinity Series to grow in this country before we even spread it across the world into Mexico and everywhere else. Correct. I agree with you, Lee, there. Um, thanks so much for the call, Lee. As always, you're always welcome. And uh, we'll, hopefully if you call next week, we'll see you next week. Thanks. Uh, John Harlow, I want to get your opinion on that. Um, first Mexican driver, Dino Suarez. Obviously, he's been through the Drive for Diversity program. Uh, he, like, like Lee said, he's got some backing behind him with Aris. Uh, it's a Mexican company who really uh, has supported him this year. Um, what are your thoughts on uh, Daniel Suarez's win in the Trinity Series this weekend at Michigan? I think the one thing with Daniel Suarez's win is who he had to go through to get it. In the pa- in the final 15 laps, he passed Logano, he passed Justin Allgaier, he passed Elliot Sadler, and he passed Kyle Busch. And it wasn't like he waited for somebody to run out of gas and got by him. I mean, he's been running top five all year. And part of the thing is he's running Joe Gibbs' equipment. He comes in with the world's richest man, the guy who owns Eris, behind him who, I mean, the world's richest man is from Mexico, so he's got the financial backing behind him, and he's with a good team. Uh, Part of it is we see how it goes forward. I think he's still learning. I think he's the world's in front of him. He's got all the talent in the world. He is a – I mean, you listen to him. You can just tell the kid is having so much fun, and he's doing something he loves, and he – is continuing to be a sponge to soak up knowledge from everybody he can. I mean, he says every time they go to a track, the first person he goes to is Kyle Busch and just soaks in knowledge of what Kyle knows about the track and what Kyle can help him with. And one of the things that's really good about it, Kyle Busch is actually being that kind of guy who's saying, okay, here's this rookie who needs my help and is asking, and he gives him the full scoop of how to do things better at the different tracks. Um, I heard Suarez on, I want to say he was with Moody this week on Sirius XM NASCAR radio. And he said he hasn't been home to Mexico this week, but everybody, it, it was a lead story on the evening news down there. It was front page of newspapers down there, not front page of sports, front page of news. So I think it'll play big down there. I think it'll help with the, audience down in Mexico, but I mean, in reality, it's nice to have more of a global audience, but what to do for attendance at Michigan, what to do for the different things when it comes to that, it doesn't really play that much of an impact game. There's, I mean, NASCAR is a 99.9% American audience, and what you get outside of the country is bonus. And I think Daniel Suarez is going to add to bonus, but he also is going, I think, more than anything, not just down in Mexico, but I think the Hispanic drive, I mean, the Hispanic audience will take more notice of him and mm-hmm. say, hey, here's a guy who came from Mexico, he's worked his butt off, and now here he is, and give them someone to relate to. Maybe 
I mean, Bubba Wallace, there are some African-Americans who only watch the race because Bubba Wallace is running. Right. So, and there's a lot of girls. I mean, you, there was a piece on NASCAR race day this week where it's six girls who love Danica and why they became NASCAR fans is because Danica's running. She may be running 20th, but that's new audience they're bringing into the thing. I mean, bringing overall. So if Suarez can help with the Hispanic audience, that's great. It'll add to everything. I'm not worried about what kind of audience that NASCAR does have in Mexico. I'd like to see a more diverse audience we have at the track. I agree with you. I think that's the ultimate goal here. Um, because, you know, we tried Mexico once. If you remember, we went to the Xfinity Series road course race there a bunch of years ago, and what was happening was they weren't showing up unless their countrymen were in the race. And the same thing's happened happened up in Canada before, too, where, you know, if there wasn't a Canadian or a Mexican driver in the field, these people really didn't care. So I think what this might do for Suarez is, oh, Kyle Busch, he's Suarez's teammate. You know, that's the guy, you know, he's one of the best. And they'll come to see, they'll see our stars, because I think that's what, NASCAR really needs is um, somebody to, to to sell their own stars down there, and uh, instead of you know a a Mexican driver who um, might not have the talent to be up in the Xfinity series running around in top notch stuff like we saw down there for years and years. Um, but I think you're right. I think they want to see a um, diverse audience. I think that's not, never a bad thing. Get your you know it's never a bad thing to broaden the audience in in the sport. Um, and hopefully for NASCAR, they hope, I'm sure, that Daniel Suarez can do that. Um, but, he, you know, like you said, he's a nice kid. He's got a lot of talent. Um, he's in the top-notch stuff, no doubt about it, and he's got big money behind him. But, you know, there's no doubt in a couple of years he keeps running good. He'll be in a cup series, and Joe Gibbs Racing is going to have to find a ride for him. Uh, but he is one of many, many young kids. We talked about the other kids, Chase Elliott, uh, Eric Jones at Nauseam this year, Um as far as young kids who are potentially the future of NASCAR, um, are you excited to see these kids come up here in the next five years, ten years, John, and see what they can do against uh, some of NASCAR's biggest stars? I think we're going to have some really, really good young drivers coming up. The problem that we're going to run into, though, is unless the current pack of cup drivers who are pretty much, there's a good bunch of them, within five years of retirement, if they don't get out of the way driving the Xfinity series, you're not you're not building your bench. You're not asking David Ortiz on his off day to get down to Pawtucket and hit DH for the Paw Sox. And that's what basically is happening in the Xfinity series. Kyle Busch runs 20 races a year. Keselowski, Logano, and Blaney all alternate that, thir- that Penske ride. So... It the building of the bench isn't happening as quick as it could be. There are so many great young drivers down there. You're seeing them in the truck series. You're seeing people like Kyle Busch put them in, in their trucks. William Byron's going to be a heck of a good driver. He's running great in Kyle Busch's truck. Eric Jones ran great in Kyle Busch's truck and wound up getting the ride with Gibbs last year when Bush was hurt and was planned for a full-time ride this year and probably going to drive cup next year for Furniture Row. Daniel Suarez has a good bit of money behind him. And part of Daniel Suarez getting the ride at Gibbs 
was so Carl Edwards had a sponsor so they could get that fourth car. I think Daniel Suarez was the key to Gibbs getting Carl Edwards. You see the Corey LaJoy's down there. He's a great driver who just doesn't have the sponsorship behind him to get a decent ride. John Hunter Nemechek's going to be a stud in this. I mean, Richard Childress is actually looking at him to drive next year. Brandon Jones is good. There's a ton of young talent down there, but one of the problems we're running into is they don't get the name recognition because they're not coming up with championships and wins to go with their championships. I mean, Chris Buescher mm-hmm. won the Xfinity Series last year, but he wasn't – I don't – did he even win a race? Oh, wait, yeah, he, he did won win two, that road race. It was uh, – he won – yeah, but they were non-cup driver races. He didn't beat any cup right. drivers to win. I mean – if they're running the Xfinity Series, they should be building their bench. You're building a, In baseball, you're building your farm system up. So by the time they get to the show, they're built for it and they're ready for it. And the people know who they are because they're following them through the, through the ranks. You see a lot of these guys, they get a race or two here and there. And they're not getting the exposure before they get to the Cup Series. And like we've talked about, the ratings are down this year. Part of it, Gordon retired. Part of it, Stewart was out the first eight races of the year. Part of it is people are tired of Jimmy Johnson, always went into chase. Kyle Busch is the black hat. I mean, they don't have the dynamic personality, especially like Stewart, the first part of the year, and ratings are down. And they're also running races on startup cable networks. I mean, Fox Fox Sports 1 has been in business three years. NBC Sports Network's been in business two and a half years. So the name recognition isn't there. Everybody knows the four-letter word that's the worldwide leader, but half the people don't know where to find NBC Sports Network. And that's one of the problems we're running into as we get to the future of NASCAR. We may have these great drivers, but we may not have a sport for them to race in. And and another thing that I think we're going to run into with this chartering system is you know, I thought we hit a – it was an interesting time to hit the chartering system because, you know, yeah, the last couple of years we've had trouble fielding 43 cars. We've seen a lot of starting parks. But I think in the next couple of years with these kids with money behind them and these kids that are really good, we might have seen some rides open up here. You know, furniture racing could have expanded with Eric Jones. Right, be able to expand to a fourth car with – or a third car with Daniel Suarez. Now we have the chartering system, and you have to sit there and wonder where they're going to get these charters from. So we might run out of charters for these young kids as well. That's something else to keep an eye on. 917-889-8280 if you want to join the show here on Talking in Circles. John, there was some devastating news I woke up to the other day about Thor Sport Racing, one of the teams based it's based in Sandusky, Ohio, one of the truck series teams. They, they Matt Crafton they have on the, under their their wings there. Uh, he's a great driver uh, on four truck series teams, including uh, Rico Abreu, and uh, just a a sad day to see a fire tear through that truck series team's, uh, their shop, really, and uh, uh, just some sad news there for Thor Sport Racing. Awful, you know, a lot of damage over there at Thor Sport with the truck series uh, garages, and I know a couple of teams, Cobbless Motorsports, one in particular, opened up their arms and said, hey, you know, take whatever you want. We'll help you out with, with it. That's awful that that happened, but what were your thoughts on the Thor Sport fire this weekend and how devastating that was for that team? 
I think it is devastating, but if there's a team that's going to be able to fight their way through it, it's these guys because they've done it different than everybody else instead of being down in Charlotte or in Sandusky, Ohio. It's a family-owned business. These folks have committed themselves to it. It was really cool. I'm looking at foxsports.com right now. There's a picture of Rico, Rico, Rico Abreu with the shop vac cleaning up the floors. Um, they have pictures of they're in the parking lot working on the trucks, getting them ready for this week. Um, they said they saved seven or eight different trucks, so hopefully they have enough for a primary and a backup. And like they said, Kyle Busch Motorsports has offered stuff up because it's a Toyota team. I see the NASCAR community rallying around Thor Sport, especially with Crafton being the way that he is. He's up there in points. I mean, it'd be really easy for Kyle Busch to say, ah, here we go. Crafton's team had a big devastating fire that ruined their shop and everything. We could tell them to go pound sand, but they're reaching out and offering to help because Crafton is a class act, and he's a fellow Toyota team. And NASCAR is very good. Whenever something bad happens, mm-hmm. NASCAR wraps their arms around it. The the community of NASCAR. NASCAR as a whole is up in its own little world. But the NASCAR driver community, the team community, they band together. I mean, one of the saddest days, but one of the ultimate feel-good days was the day Kyle Petty came back to the track after Adam died and jumped into the 45, 45 uh, Xfinity car or whatever. It was a Bush car back then. But the way the fans, the other drivers, the teams, the pit crews, everybody, Kyle Bush had, I mean, Kyle Petty had trouble getting to his car because so many people were hugging him, patting him on the back, shaking his hand, and wishing him well. I mean, that's the one thing that people don't understand about the NASCAR community is one huge family. And they do the right thing. I agree wholeheartedly. And I think um, it was so nice to see that from Kyle Busch Motorsports. I think even Richard Childress, another Chevrolet team and uh, Thor Sport runs Toyotas, but uh, they even opened up their arms. And, it, and I think it, it came at a, a worse time even for them because they have four cars now with Ben Rhodes, uh, Cameron Haley, Rico Abreu, and Matt Crafton now. So they have four trucks over there now. So um, it, it Last couple of years, they've run two, and, and last year, I think they went to three, but before that, they were two for a while. Um, so it, it came at a bad time for them, but uh, I'm going to be curious to see how this affects them. I, I hope it doesn't. I love Kraft, and I think Crafton's a great driver. I, I, I like Cameron Haley. I think he's a good young driver. Same thing with Rico Abreu and Ben Rhodes, but I'm going to be interested to see how this affects them because you don't like to lose your, your all this stuff You know, they lost. You don't like to, to lose... Uh, the amount of money that they're they're going to lose there for this, and you can put on a good face all you want, but it's a pretty devastating blow, and I think it's going to be something to keep an eye on here as the truck series season goes along. It's unfortunate, you know, and we saw a fire a couple of years ago from that '95 team of my family. That wasn't nearly the extent this one was. This one was a huge, huge fire. Uh, took out a lot of their stuff, and uh, it's just very unfortunate. I hope it doesn't affect them at all. I hope you can see, and it's business as usual, but um, you know. You can't tell me they didn't have a car prepared for the next weeks or trucks prepared for the next weeks or at least getting built for the next weeks in that. And now they have to start from scratch with Kyle Busch Motorsports trucks maybe. And, you know, they, it's not their science and engineering thing into it. So uh, it's a very difficult situation for them to be in. And I hope for Matt Kraft and everybody involved with that race team that uh, we don't see it, them uh, take a step down because of this. 
But honestly, I think it's inevitable. I hope that's not the case, John, but um, we'll see, I guess. I think if anything out of it, Thor Sport has to be smart about it and close ranks if they need to. Yeah, they're running four trucks, but Crafton's up toward the top in points. They're going to focus on Matt Crafton and trying to get him up there. One of the good things about it is one of the largest suppliers of building supplies and everything in the Midwest is Menards, and Menards is on the – they sponsor Matt Crafton in that truck. I wouldn't be surprised to see John Menard send a crew over to help rebuild that shop as fast as they can. That's a fair point. It's a really good point. It's something that uh, I don't think a lot of people understand about that team. Like you said, they do. They are sponsored by um, John Menard, who is one of the richest men in America. So that's definitely a possibility that can happen for this team. And, again, hope all the best. Hope it doesn't affect them at all. And uh, our thoughts and prayers are with them. And Thor Sport Racing, a, a tough loss. It's not so unfortunate. I feel awful for the organization there. One of the truck series teams that is a standalone truck series team, and you can't help pull for those guys for sure. Iowa this weekend for the NASCAR Camping World Truck Series and NASCAR Xfinity Series. John Harlow, before we go, just want to touch on a little bit. What are you going to be watching for this weekend in Iowa? Um, it's a racetrack that a lot of people um, in, in involved with the sport look at as a track that maybe doesn't have a cup date right now that could potentially five, six years, ten years down the road um, get a cup date. What are you going to be watching for this weekend in Iowa? Part of the thing in Iowa you got to watch for is attendance. And the attendance has been struggling. It has. It, whenever Iowa first came to the circuit, I mean, Iowa's a great racetrack. Rusty Wallace basically designed it to be Richmond Jr. And the racing is great, but they run two weekends. Again, it's sort of like Michigan where they're close enough together where it's a pain in the butt to get there twice. I think the racing will be great like it always is. I think Iowa... The people who put it together, they financed it wrong. They did a lot of not-so-smart things where ISC wound up buying it and bailing them out. So ISC does own Iowa Speedway, but the thing is it only seats 40,000, 50,000. That's not near yeah. enough for a cup, cup date. They'd have to expand it and put millions of dollars into it, and they don't know for sure if the investment's there if they can't fill where it is at 50,000. If you're getting twenty five, thirty thousand in a fifty thousand seat stadium, it looks empty. And if you need a hundred thousand or eighty thousand to a hundred thousand to make a cup weekend viable, the millions of dollars you have to do to expand that is the investment worth it. And that's why I don't yeah. think Iowa is gonna see the cup cup series in the next ten years. I'm curious to see what happens now. They used to run um a Two, four weekends, basically. You said four weekends there where the trucks ran on separate weekends in the Xfinity Series, um, and now it, they are combined, which is so much better. Like you said, you know, when when you talk about Pocono, you know, you kind of got to put some money out twice in, in a month or two. You'd put out four times if you were a fan of Iowa Speedway. So uh, they've combined the Champion World Truck Series and the NASCAR Xfinity Series races this year, two companion events, which I like, and I think it's going to help that, hopefully help the attendance there for both of those races. I want to thank uh, Lee from Virginia for the call. I want to thank John Harlow for um, for joining the show as well. He always does a great job as my co-host. And I want to thank you fans for listening. I know it might seem like a little bit uh, 
different. My voice, I'm not feeling the best right now. So uh, I appreciate you sticking with us this week. We'll be back here next week, uh, on t- next time on Talking in Circles. Good night, everybody.